Good morning. Welcome back to Wellspring. It's awesome to see this turnout. This is so encouraging to me to know just the priority that the women of our church are putting on on their hearts. And to, I know it's hard to wake up on a cold, dark Saturday morning. So thank you for being here. And uh, it's my prayer. I've been praying for this morning. It's my prayer that this would be a worthwhile morning where we we are affected by God's word. And more than just being affected by God's word, we get to see God in his word and develop just increase in our affections for him. And that the result of this morning would be um, a greater heart shepherding in all of us to the end of, to the, for the, the goal of loving God more. Um, having more righteous, uh, a more holy life, uh, all for his glory. So today we get to spend some time looking at one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Uh, I don't think it would be an understatement to say that this has made the greatest impact in my life. I remember some very specific times in regards to to fighting specific sins or just wanting to develop an affection for God where Proverbs 4.23 was instrumental in my own life. And it's, it's the namesake of this ministry And and it encapsulates the foundation of the Wellspring Disciplines. But as we get started this morning, let's review the Wellspring Disciplines. Um, I think those are those on the back of your binder. It's always good to keep these in mind. You should have them memorized. We sometimes use a shorthanded grace. We say Discipline 1, Discipline 2, Discipline 3. And we assume that you know what that that means. And I'll probably be using that nomenclature today in in the study. So let's look at it. Discipline 1. The foundational discipline, this is what our verse today will talk about. It's the heart. Right? The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully towards God through the word of God, and in particular the gospel. If you haven't done so already, I, I want to underline the word. Do it in your mind, do it on your paper, but underline box. Just remember that word worshipfully. I, I really appreciate that that is there. And I don't know about you, but so often it's, it's easy for me to, to prioritize. I, I know I need to get in God's word and it's easy for it to turn into a checklist. I have so many to do's in my day, right? I, I have to, I wake up in the morning and I have this time schedule that's, that's pressing. You might have it too. The kids will wake up. I got to get this done. The kids will wake up. I have laundry, dishes, work, whatever. And you have God's word and it has to fit in and you have a half. For me, I, it, I sit down and all I, I can have in my mind sometimes is I have 35 minutes to get this done. How much do I have to read? Um, and it turns into a to-do. And, and the last thing on my mind when I'm thinking of God's word like that is worship. And if you put your heart before God's word without worship, it's, it's a dangerous place to be. We're going to see that today. Um, think of the illustration of, of a blazing hot sun. That can do something to your heart if your heart's made out of a soft wax. If you want your heart to be soft before God's word, right? that hot sun put on wax melts it. It's moldable. God can do with your heart 
what he wants to do with your heart, what he should do with your heart before the before his word. But think about the Pharisees, some people who, who put their hearts, who put themselves before God's word every day, or I mean, their, their lives circled, it, it revolved around God's word, um, sort of. A image of God's word that wasn't actually his word, used for a purpose that was far from God's intended purpose. Right? They didn't use the gospel, they used laws, they used rules, self-improvement, self-justification. And they put themselves before God's word and worship was the last thing on their mind. And their hearts were like clay that was baked, became totally unmoldable, right? Hard. The same sun, John MacArthur, I think I heard that from him first, the same sun that melts the wax, hardens the clay. And so as you get in front of God's word, application of God's word needs to be on your mind. And you're going to get lots of application today. But let your application every day, have this in your notebook, just whatever you need to do, say, how can I worship God better with what I saw of God in his word? Or what did I read today that moves me to worship? And don't stand up. Don't get your bottom out of that chair until you've worshiped. I guarantee you that if you do that, you will be better prepared to do discipline too, right? The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. But if you sit down in front of God's word without a heart that worshiped God, and then you take that way of relating to God and you go into your home, what do you think you're going to do to your kids when they frustrate you? Right? You're going to feel more like Peter when he says, do you, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Because that's, I mean, if you think it's forgiving seven times for the same sin, that's, that's pretty good. But it totally ignores the gospel, right? This is saying, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, no, you missed the whole point. Let me tell you a parable that reveals God's love in the gospel towards you. Do you remember that? Matthew 18. And Jesus says there was a servant who was forgiven 10,000 lifetimes of debt. And what did that servant do when he totally forgot what kind of master he had who forgave him? He wanted to hold his brother responsible for, for the debt that he owed. He missed. Anyway, so, so Jesus, he, he calls his disciples' heart back to, look at, back to the gospel. Look at who God is in relation to you in the gospel. And think of how that will affect your day. If you've worshipped God for his grace... If you've put your heart before God in his grace and you've worshipped him in the morning, how are you going to relate to your kids, your husband, your co-workers? How will your shepherding of your home be different? How will your shepherding of your workplace be different? Um, and we, we could go into so many different, different areas, but if you miss the worship in that D1, right? if you just put your heart before God in his word and you can relate to God in his word with, without worship, you're setting a, a bad foundation, a disastrous foundation for the rest of the disciplines. So let's do that this morning. We're going to have God's word open in front of us. And when you see something in here that reveals who God is, just right there in your seat, in your heart, worship. 
could just be a one sentence prayer. Just thank you, God. Write it down. Maybe if you're, if you're going to use those new notebooks that you have, make a page every day, worship and a date. Don't miss a date, right? Write today's date, write tomorrow's date and write, write a prayer, write a, a one sentence prayer of worship to God every day. Don't let yourself get up from time in God's word without worship. And let's not miss that today. So God, let's pray together. God, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us, as I seek to expose the truth of your word, I beg that you would guard and guide my words. I beg that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and cause us to worship you. I pray that you would grant us understanding by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, please grant my heart and the heart of my hearers a submissive posture before you as we approach your word. These are your words contained in scripture. And they have the same power that when spoken brought everything into existence. God, these words are more powerful than we can comprehend. And I pray that my words would be faithful to your word. Finally, transform us, sanctify us, perhaps even save some. God, please use this message this morning to make me guard my heart more diligently. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at Proverbs 4.23 in front of you. You're, you probably already have it memorized. If you don't, you're going to have it memorized in a second. You should have in your mind that this verse contains, this is about halfway down on your uh, front page, that Proverbs 4.23 contains a what, a why, and a how. Right, the what is, well, let's read Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So there's a what, a why, and a how here. The what is the command, right? It's keep your heart, or watch over your heart, or guard your heart. Those are three common translations for the, the idea that, that underlies the message here. But this is a command and you can't skip it, right? But, but the command isn't all that this verse has. We have to guard our heart, keep our heart, watch over our heart. But there's a way that Solomon commands us to do that. It says, with all vigilance, above all else, with all diligence. Right? So that's how you're supposed to do it. And then there's a why. Why is this important? Why do we have to keep our heart? And in these words, um, Solomon encapsulates what's going to be the, the starting pl place and the foundation of our message. And, and what we have to understand is the foundation of wellspring, that the heart is the wellspring of life. Everything in your life flows from your heart. It's the core of who you are, right? And so that's the why. If everything in your life flows from this wellspring, we should keep our heart with all diligence. So Charles Bridges, and this is, sorry about being out of order, this is right above the what, a why, and a how, says the heart 
is the citadel of man, is the seat of his dearest treasure. It's fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. That's a good summary of our passage this morning. So let's start with the why. Okay, we're going to start with the why, end up going to the the rest of it. But before we get into the the what and the how of of Proverbs 4.23, I think we need to really drill down and understand what it means that the heart is the wellspring of life the source of life and, and the and what the implications for that are. The heart is is the well or the source from which all behaviors flow. So think of your life like a river, okay, or water coming out of a, a source. And, and have you ever seen what's come out of that? Have you ever looked at, at your life and said you saw a sin and you said, where did that come from? It almost seemed like it came from somebody else. You're like, that, that's not me, is it? Maybe exploding at your roommate's short temper with your husband. Anger at your children. Entertaining or acting on sinful fantasies. Maybe even just laziness. Lying. Gossip. Sharp speech. Where did that come from? So you know the answer, right? It, it, that sin, actually everything you do, good or bad, it, every action, thought, deed, or word is like water that has flowed from the wellspring of your heart. So Proverbs 4.23 will help us get at the root of these sins, and it'll even better prepare us for the great gospel solution to the heart of the problem. And it'll guide us towards walking in purity of life. sounds pretty simple, but you might want to want to write this down. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Think of that. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Or it's not like you have a heart in some other you somewhere else. No, the heart, in biblical terms, is the core you. It's the, it's the thing that drives your motivations. It's the thing that, that controls everything you do. And if, if your life, if all of your actions, thoughts, deeds are like a river, they all had a common source, and that's your heart, the wellspring. But think about this then. If everything comes from your heart, there is no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Does that make sense? That's super simple. But now you're starting to understand that if if everything comes from your heart and there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect, you're starting to see why Solomon would command, guard this thing above all else. So the image of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with clean water. But what happens if that source is contaminated? Or worse yet, what happens if that source is poison? What's going to happen to all of the city that draws from that water source? This is a problem because the Bible describes the heart, our life source, in some pretty unflattering terms. We're on the, at the top of page two. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all else 
and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then consider that God saw the wickedness in man's heart and he was moved to kill everybody but Noah and his family back in Genesis 6-5. Open your Bible and look there. Look at God's assessment of the human heart. Genesis 6-5. So God had just, right in Jeremiah 17-9, he described the, the heart in and of itself, the un unchanged heart is deceitful above all else, desperately sick. Genesis 6-5, this is sobering. It says, Yahweh saw, he, he's the only one who can see the heart clearly, right? We don't see our own hearts. Who can understand it? Yahweh sees our heart. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Right? Everything that man did was, was wicked. Why? Because every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Did that get fixed by the flood? Did the flood somehow change man's heart? No, right? The flood didn't fix the heart problem. That description of man's heart as only evil continually is just as true today. So there's no part of your life that doesn't flow from this wellspring. And this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually. So based on Proverbs 4.23, right? If your heart is like that, and Proverbs 4.23 says, every intention of your heart is only evil. I mean, and, and Proverbs 4.23 says that the heart is the source of life. That's our, our math problem up there. What does that mean? What, what is our life going to look like? What's all of humanity going to look like? And you, you basically see how Romans 3.10 or Psalm 14.1-3 came. God's assessment is that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Right, so no one naturally has a good heart. No one, no, not one, does good on their own before God. You might accept this theologically, but this is a, an opportunity for us to stop and worship. Christian, do you see anything good in your life? If this is accurate and you see a good work in your life, where did that come from? What is your only hope for being able to glorify God in your life? We're going to get there, but this is a chance when you see it. If this is true, you don't get to say, look at me when I do something, when you do something good. When you do anything good, you get to say, look at God. Because what did you bring to the table? A desperately sick, wicked heart. So if something other than that flows from your heart, where did it come from? getting a little bit ahead of myself, but because where could it come from, right? If, if this is true, and yet we know that God prepared the Christian for good works, right? If we're 
his workmanship created for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. How are we going to do these good works? How are we going to glorify God? God doesn't leave us in this condition, right? This Genesis 6, 5 uh, description, the Jeremiah 17, 9, that's not all that we have. We are now in this mixed condition. God has given us a heart transplant. This is the gospel. Ezekiel 36, 26. Speaking of the new covenant with Israel that Christian Gentiles get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. And that is so necessary, right? We just saw what our old heart looked like. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How are you going to walk in God's statutes? How are you going to obey his rules? The only way to do it, the only way to do it rightly is with a new heart. So God commands, God gives us lots of commands, but he provides the means and the means is a new heart. Christian, you had an old dead heart of stone and God gave you a heart of flesh. I, I can't help, every time I, I read this, I, I have a privilege, I, I have a privilege of doing cardiac anesthesia and more and more I'm taking care of sicker and sicker hearts. It's amazing what you see, what happens to the body when the heart is bad. Right? If you have a heart attack, or sometimes viruses do this, you, you get what's called cardiomyopathy. You get the heart literally functions like a dead heart, right? It, norm, a normal human heart, blood comes in and it stretches and it squeezes the blood out and it pumps this life-giving fluid that God gave us to all your organs, carrying oxygen, nutrients everywhere. And so if the heart's good, your organs function, your brain works, your life is, your body's full of life. But it was actually just this last week took care of this patient. The heart was functioning so poorly, almost to the degree when we put the echo on, it looked like it wasn't even moving. And you talk to this lady, takes maybe like, say something, and it was almost a minute, painful, before her brain could process what I said and respond. You look at her labs, her liver's not working, her kidney's not working. She looks closer to death than she does to life. Slay's only hope is a new heart, a heart transplant. Guys, that's us, but worse. We weren't almost dead. Our heart was so bad as to the point of we were dead in our transgressions and sins. It's, we were, we had an old dead heart of stone. How would a heart of stone work? Hearts pump, stone doesn't move. But praise be to God, in Ezekiel 36, 26, 
Right. God took your old dead heart and he replaced it with a new heart. John 3.3, 3, you were born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. God has given you a new heart. At regeneration, think of that word, at regeneration, he renews us. At regeneration, God declared us righteous. He granted us forgiveness. And he changed us from the heart so that for the first time we have the ability to obey God, to love God, right? The Christian life is not about making yourself better. There's no pull yourself up by your bootstraps, add a little Jesus to your life and let's see if if you do better. It is a fundamental change of who we are. And God did that by regenerating us by changing us from the heart. Romans 6.17. Open your Bible there. We still live in a mixed condition, right? We still have our sinful flesh. We're able to sin. Our hearts are not perfect. But we do have new hearts. And for the first time, We are able not to sin. We're able to please God. You are able to shepherd your heart from sin and to God. This discipline one, a non-believer cannot do this. Apart from a new heart, you can't shepherd your heart anywhere. Your, Your heart is only evil continually. You need a new heart. And that comes through the gospel. And you shepherd your heart to God through his word, through the same means that he changed your heart initially through the gospel. We're going to get there. Let's look at 617. Worship God as you read this. Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. Right? We used to be slaves to sin. Why? Because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart. But praise be to God, we're now obedient from the heart. We're acting out of our new nature when we obey. John Flavel said it dramatically. It's one of my favorite Puritan authors. He said, The heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it's his best part after it. Praise and thank God for that. Proverbs 4.23 told us that the heart is the wellspring of our lives, and that would be horrible news if it were not for this great news, the gospel. That God saves us, and when he does that, he changes us from the heart. And that change is not superficial, right? I can't beat this enough. If, If you've been changed from the very core of who you are, You've been changed from the wellspring of your life, your heart. That means that everything good, like I said, everything good that you do does not come. You don't get the glory. 
you must give God the glory for that because everything that you do comes from the gospel's work. Everything good that you do comes from the gospel's work in your life. And your only hope for change when you see sin is God renewing that wellspring. Richard, the Puritan pastor, Richard Baxter, this is at the bottom of page two. He wisely advised his church. He said, till the spirit has regenerate, regenerated the soul, all outward religion will be but a dead and pitiful thing. To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good while the heart is void of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace is a hypocrite's religion. I want you to ask yourself this morning, even if you've been around church your whole life, years and years, if you're thinking of other people when you hear this, I want you to think about yourself right now. When you relate to God, to church, to his word, are you trying to smuggle merit in? Are you trying to bring your own... Um, maybe self-justification into this to say, I want to look better, so I'm going to try harder to make myself better. Are you, sometimes, would you settle for an appearance of godliness without a change that goes to your core? Are you here doing religion Or are you here because God has changed you from the heart and you want no one else, you want nothing else like you want God himself? We are still in that mixed condition and I find myself consistently, if I'm not watching, wandering to where spiritual disciplines that used to keep me close to God become patterns where I'm content to have an appearance of godliness that misses the point. Right? That misses the worship. That misses God when I come to his word. That ignores my heart or is content to see wickedness in my heart. And leave that undealt with. Because I still have an appearance of godliness. Christians, we can't do that. Imagine a city with a poisoned well. That city couldn't flourish, right? In fact, that city would be full of death. Then one day, the king provided clean water, a new wellspring. The old well was full of poison, and the new one, for the first time, had fresh water. Immediately, the city, the city that had poison, in their water now has water that city for the first time would have life those who were once made weak anemic and dying from poison they'd have a taste of that which they never knew pure water those people would love the king that provided that water and those people would know the importance of that wellspring Right? They would know the effects of a tainted well. Well, we're not... Well, sorry, they, they would know the joys of purity. 
those people would never think for a moment, how much poison do you think we could let back in that water and still be okay? Right? How close could we get to the old days and still be fine? No, they would guard that well with all vigilance because they would know that their very lives depended on it. Christian, we're, we are those people. Our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness. Our wellspring, only poison flowed from it. And that salvation, for the first time, you can glorify God from the heart. So guard your heart. Right? If everything that if you're if you can for the first time have good water flowing from your heart, don't be content to polish the pipes. Right? Have poison flowing through nicely polished pipes. That's what religion tries to do. Mask that it's poison. Right? Do things that look good while your heart has no thought of God and glorifying him. No, you for the first time can glorify as a Christian, you can glorify God from your heart. So guard the heart. In light of this illustration, look at the top of page three and consider this quote of Charles Spurgeon. Another guy you would do well to read. And as you do it, look for the wellspring disciplines there. Maybe mark over the top of each one, D1, D2, D3. Grace Bible Church didn't invent this. Look for your heart, your home, and your ministry. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like to poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, stays not there, but diffuses itself all over the body and never ceases until it is infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will. It creeps from one member of the body to another and from the body to the soul till it has infected the whole man and then from man to man till the whole family. And it stays not there, but it runs like wildfire from family to family till it has poisoned a whole town and so a whole country and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. See, this isn't only about your own heart. The poison of sin, it won't stay in your heart. It will seek to destroy you. All right. Think of the parable of the sower and the seeds. You remember the seed that fell among the thorns? It looked really good at first. But the nature of the soil was revealed in what the fruit did in relation to the the thorns, right? You need to, the thorns, the cares of this world choked out the growth that the seed provided and it revealed itself that it wasn't the good soil. Fight for your heart to be thorn-free soil. Guard your soil. Guard your wellspring. Guard your heart. In the poison of your sin, it won't stay in your heart. It will seek to destroy you, then your home, then your ministry in your small group in this church. Let me ask you, what poison are you dabbling with? I'm not asking that hypothetically. Think about it. I guarantee you that there, there is one. There is probably more than one. 
What poison, what sin, what compromise are you dabbling with? What looks, what in your heart might look more like your old heart than your new one? Love of things. <coughs> I, we'll get to the end where we'll start naming some of them that might be helpful. But, but if you have something on your mind, a poison that you're dabbling with, a sin that you've been content to let sit in your heart because it's all right, you're doing enough good to offset it. Or maybe you just haven't thought about it long enough. If there's a poison that you're letting close to your heart, confess that to God right now. And in the shadow of the cross, because of what is what God has done in your heart, because of who God is and you want Him more than anything, repent. Right? The city with the new wellspring, they'd never think what's what poison can I let how much poison can I let back in this well and still be okay? And the sweet thing is, God already knows it. You're not hiding it from him. Alright, if you had somebody say, Here's a blank check, tell me all your debts. I want to forgive every single one of them. You're not gonna hide them. You're not gonna like Say, well, no, my bank account's good. You're going you're gonna to go looking for these things and say, pay this one off too. Oh, I'm changing my heart. Why would I want that? You're so much better. So confess it. Run from it. So the, the truth that the well, your heart is the wellspring of life, it leads very naturally to Solomon's command or the what of our verse. You remember there's the why, the what, and the how? We're now on the what. The keep your heart. Guard your heart. Sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected. So guard your heart. Notice with me that as Solomon is speaking to his son in Proverbs 4.23, he gives this instruction as a command. The word guard or keep, it's, it's an imperative verb. It's it's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's not something passive, right? This is active. The word here for guard, watch, or keep, it's the same word that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry or a guard, like one on a Judean mountainside overlooking a valuable resource, right? A king who, who had a very valuable resource. We've already identified your heart is your most valuable one because everything flows from it. He would place his best sentries, his most alert sentries, and lots of them, or guards, in strategic positions overlooking that resource. Water in the ancient, well, in, in our world too, but especially in, back then, right, water would be the most precious. You couldn't have a city without water. In a city at war, a city at war would have guards always on watch, knowing that a very real threat could appear at any moment. And we have a precious, newly pure water source with ever-present threats seeking to poison the well. Right? Sin within, temptations without. You know that there's threats to this wellspring that God's given you. How can we keep the source of our life pure? 
How? Right? He gives this command. You might say, I want to do this. How do I do it? Do I try real hard? Do I not sleep? Do I get an accountability partner? Do I... There might be some means to do it, but but David, in essence, I, I'm glad we don't have to make up an answer because David, in Psalm 119, verse 9, he basically asked this question and gave us the answer. Turn there, Psalm 119, verse 9. It's also on your, on your page on the bottom of page 3. Right? David asked, he said, how can a young man keep his way pure? That's sort of the same question, saying, how can I keep my heart? Right? What I do flows from my heart. It's, it's all bundled up in one. How can, I, how can I do this, David asks. Solomon, maybe when he wrote this, I mean, maybe he was mimicking his dad, writing something he had heard his dad talk about. David says, how can I, a young man keep his way pure? And he answers it. He says, by guarding it, according to your word. And he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So how did David guard his heart? David guarded his heart with God's word. More specifically, David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. So as you sit down and you say, maybe today when you leave and say, I need to guard my heart with God's word or tomorrow morning or next week when you sit down every day, when you sit down with God's word open in front, say, what am I doing right now? I'm guarding my heart. How am I doing it? And you can pray, God, with my whole heart, let me seek you. Not with part of my heart, right? A little poison over here, a little your heart over here. No, purity of heart means you're aiming for the whole thing. One one nature in this heart. We won't get there until we're glorified. But, but our goal is with one heart, all my heart, to seek God. And your prayer would be, God, oh, please don't let me wander from your commandments. Why? Not because I want to make myself better, not because I want to earn your favor. But if you want, if you're aim is to seek God with your whole heart. You can't say, oh God, let me seek you and reject you as I walk away from your commandments. Part of seeking God is doing what he says. So you'll be careful to fight temptation. You won't think that your heart can tolerate just a little bit of evil. You will protect your heart from exposure to things that would poison the wellspring of life. But we see more importantly and more fundamental to guarding your heart. It isn't just what you keep out of your heart, right? You might think, oh, I need to keep all my enemies out, right? There's bad guys who want to come poison this wellspring. But this verse actually reveals something else that's so important. Guarding your heart isn't just what you keep out, but it's what you keep in. As we guard the wellspring of our heart, we must be shepherding our heart to God, right? Seek God with all your heart. This is what that parable, you know, or or the the story where Jesus talks about you cast the demon out and he'll come back with seven others, finding finding his home all put together nice and nice and tidy. What's that? If you've ever read that, you're like, what's, what's going on there? 
you don't just get the demon out. You don't just get the bad stuff out and say, oh, I'm good. No, God didn't save us for that. All right, that's what Pharisees tried to do. Oh, let me separate myself from things that look bad. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll find eternal life, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I told the Pharisees. What were they missing? They wanted to keep all the evil out. And they missed God. And what was the result? The wickedest of hearts that would crucify the Son of Glory. Guys, we're no different. You can run away from sin. And you look like a Mormon. Don't run away from sin only. Guys, how can you keep your way pure? Keep it according to God's word. Seek God with all your heart. So when you think, guard my heart, right? You shouldn't say, how much sin can I let in my life and still be okay? No, get rid of it. Confess it. Repent it. Repent from it. Bring it to God. Say, forgive this one too. This isn't who you saved me to be. I'm not a slave to that anymore. Do that. No sin. And say, oh God, I want you with my whole heart. Run after him. And you see, that's why worship is so important. If you aren't constantly putting God and who he is in front of you every day when you go to his word, you can't desire him. You won't desire him. The best way to see God, the best place to see God and who he is, is in his word. I have a, a practice I've had for years. It's, it's been over a decade now. I remember teaching my small group this in 2013. So... I can't, I can't commend it to you enough. When you open God's word, there needs to be three questions on your mind. And the first is the most important. This is part of my journaling. I have these three questions. I've taught my daughter this. When you open up God's word, ask yourself any passage you're in. I don't care whether it's the sweetest Ephesians that you've read a hundred times or some obscure section of second Kings. You say, what does this teach me about God's word? I mean, sorry, what does this teach me about God from his word? What does this teach me about God? There will be an answer. It might be a big picture answer from the book, but God's word reveals a person. It reveals God and write down an answer. Don't, don't look for some, like, don't go, don't go to God's word saying, I, I need a devotional experience today and go to the same passages. But every as you read through God's word, say, what this reveals you, God. What does this teach me about you? It might be the same thing every day. And that's okay. Right? When you're in Second Kings, you might learn the same lesson every day over and over again. But write that down. And what do you do when you see God revealed in his word? What's discipline one say? You worship. Right? You never say, Oh God, I know you're great, you're you're full of grace. But I learned that last week. So I'm going to go about my day. You say, God, you are gracious. And you preach that to your heart. You worship God for it. And you say, how must I change? How must this affect me? So question one is, what does this teach me about God? And how must it affect me? Right? And then the other questions, not near as important, but what does this reveal about man? What does this reveal about sinful man? What does this reveal about me? 
how must that affect me? And then question three is, what does this reveal about when man and God come into contact? Right? There's, there's wrath. There's forgiveness. There's changed hearts. Right? And as you look at that, you are all of a sudden sobered. Because now you're more aware of God in this world than you are of all the things clamoring for your attention. Right? If you're <coughs> more aware that God hates sin, you're going to see, if, if you look this year, if you, if you resolve to look this year, I know my mom's doing it, right? You're looking for God's wrath everywhere in, in Scripture. And you say, that's wrath against sin, and I'm doing sin. You're going to be quick to flee sin. You're going to be more aware of how can I, how can I put to death sin as I go about my day than you are, how can I make my boss like me? Right? Your life will be affected because you're relating to God. You're seeking God with your whole heart. I could go on and on. I would love to teach a lesson on, on how to study God's word, looking for God in his word. We're going to have to jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead to the how. The how is, is with all vigilance. Right? If, if the wellspring is the source of your life, and we know that we are to guard it, and we learned what guarding is, fleeing sin, pursuing God, how are you to do that? This it almost becomes obvious at this point. It's almost like Solomon didn't have to say it, but I'm glad he did. You do it with all vigilance, with all diligence. I love the translation. It says, above all else. Right? There's only one way to do this most important thing. You need to set up a guard for your heart. And you do it by seeking God and his word all the time, every day, no higher priorities, no days off. What do you do with more attention, more effort than you guard your heart? The answer should be nothing, right? There's so many things clamoring for our attention. I don't know if, if you're like me, it, a hectic week at work. I think I can justify skipping God's word or I'll have an abbreviated time in God's word this morning because, man, look at how much I have to do. I'll just wait till my vacation week coming up. Then I'll have all kinds of time, right? So you, when life is busy, you say, why am I not get, getting in God's word? Well, because life is busy. And then you're on vacation. You have all the time in the world. Why did you not get in God's word? What this actually reveals is that we're not prioritizing guarding our heart through God's word above all else, right? It's um, in all seasons, especially the busy ones, especially the hard ones. Guard your heart. Even more so, what, what would a, a country at war, right, with all kinds of pressing issues, right? We need to go fight this battle. We need to all the things that their country at war would do, they, they'd anticipate all that much more attacks on this wellspring and they would all the much more diligently guard it. 
you ever give thought to, man, I'm coming up on a season where it's going to be really hard? Maybe you have a hard time with family and you have a, a gathering coming up. Right? Think back to how you handled Christmas. And you, you anticipate that challenge. You anticipate an opportunity to sin and you anticipate it by guarding your heart, seeking God and his word leading up to that. Um, I'll tell you what, when the last really four years with David, I know so many of you guys pray for us and pray for my son with leukemia and I thank you. I, I just want to praise God for, for what he's done in, in our heart. Through the first three years of treatment, I'll tell you what, my heart, the sin that I struggle with is anxiety, right? When I'm anxious, the Bible clearly says anxiety. It's not a psychological disorder. It's not something I need to medicate. It's sin. Do not be anxious about anything. And why is it sin? Because if, if God is good and he's all powerful, then anything that comes into my life, I can rest and know that it's from him. Right? If, if I look all over God's word for where does your word reveal that you are good and where does your word reveal your power? If I know those things and I believe those things, that should banish anxiety from my life. That should actually just well up thankfulness in all circumstances. I love God's goodness. And I cherish his power. And yet I struggle with anxiety. But by God's word, or by God's grace, I'd say for, for those three years of David's leukemia and every day giving him chemo, and you're not sure, is this actually killing the cells? Is it going to come back? Just with it, what does it say? With thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, let your request be made known to God, and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God will guard your heart there. By with thanksgiving, letting your request be, be made known to him. So in this anxiety-provoking situation, how can he give thanksgiving? Only by knowing who God is and believing that. And I, I just, it's sweet, bringing my heart before that every day. And then David relapses around his brain. Didn't handle that perfectly. But praise God, I, we anticipated that day coming. Every day. This was exactly what we feared. Oh no, his survival dropped from 80, 90% down to 20%, 40%. And rather than oh, running quick to anxiety, I trained my heart, Kiki's heart, day after day after day. If this day comes, don't run to anxiety. Run to God with thanksgiving. And so day after day after day, anticipating this is a challenge that's coming. How will we handle it? Rather than being anxious for that day, we prepared for that day. So when that day came, we give thanks. We could let God, let God guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We didn't do it perfectly. We don't do it perfectly. It's still the battle. I'd say the hardest battle for me is anxiety. But there, there is hope. And, and so what's your hardest, what's your sin? It might not be a big one. It might be, it might be like a big one, like somebody might describe it. If it's sin, it's against God. And what's a sin that just constantly plagues you? Anticipate, when will this, when will I face this temptation? Right? If, if, not, if everything that you do comes from your heart and 
your heart affects everything that you do and you know there's going to be sin seeking to, to come into your heart sometime down the road, this is a sin that plagues you, you're going to guard your heart with all vigilance. You're going to say, how can I protect from this? And so when you go to say, well, what sin is it? And what in God's word will guard me from that, right? For me, it's God's goodness and his power because those two things banish anxiety. I don't know what it is for you, but say, is that guard with all vigilance? What practically should I look for in God's word to shepherd my heart to every single day so that I respond rightly when that sin, when the opportunity for that sin comes up? So then a year from now, when you're looking back on 2017, you say, that was a sin that plagued me. And then you see that you're doing better. I don't tell you that story about me and anxiety. You say, oh, good job, Jake. But it's to say, praise God. That can only come from a new heart. And that could only come from God changing me from the heart. And time guarding my heart to God in his word. I know you guys have so many other stories like that, but, but look at what is that sin that maybe you confessed earlier? Or what is the sin that, that just constantly comes up? How can you guard with all vigilance to put that to death? We're going to finish up here with 1 Kings 11. This is sobering. This is, uh, right, who Solomon wrote Proverbs 4.23. 1 Kings 11 describes Solomon and how he did with heart shepherding what the effect on his own heart, his home, and his ministry was. Right? Solomon knew the importance of heart guarding better than we do. He wrote this passage. He got to sit at his dad's feet, at David's feet, who, who wrote what we read in Psalm 119. Solomon certainly could teach. Right, The heart is the wellspring of life, so you have to guard it with all vigilance. He was committed to that and theory or he could teach it is a sobering for me standing up here being excited about heart guarding is not the same thing as heart guarding resolving to guard your heart is not the same thing as heart guarding you could be sitting here saying i can't wait to get out and face temptation so i can guard my heart to god and his word i can't wait till tomorrow to do it but unless you do it you're not doing it um Consider Solomon with me in, in 1 Kings 11.1. 1. Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. God gave them a warning in his word. Back in the Pentateuch, he gave a warning to all the kings saying, watch out for foreign women. They're going to turn your heart away. Don't marry them. He actually gave a whole list of commands like don't go to Egypt to get um, horses. Don't, don't get a whole bunch of gold for yourself. And in the verses right before this, it lists out how Solomon broke every single one of those commands. And in the chapters before, it shows how it Seemed like a good idea at the time, right? Married an Egyptian because it was a good uh, strategic decision. God gave him all kinds of blessing. He prayed for wisdom and God said, I'm going to bless you with stuff too. And Solomon saves it up for himself. All things that God said will turn your heart away. Little compromise after little compromise. 
wandering from God, wandering from his commandments, not pursuing God with his whole heart. And Solomon's heart turned away. And that's what it says, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. David sought God through his word with his whole heart, and Solomon, through a series of heart-poisoning compromises, had his heart turned away. And think of the end for the nation. Think of his family, right? The next generation totally turned away from God. Think of his ministry. The nation ripped in two. Right? Israel and Judah separated. Wars between them. His descendants going off into captivity. False God worship in the land, even at the temple that was supposed to be for Yahweh. Not guarding Solomon's heart destroyed his family and his ministry, right, to the nation. This is important. Christian, you are saved by grace, and we will only guard our hearts by God's grace. It should be obvious at this point, this is not something about try harder, do better. You must try really hard. You must do better. But this, right, our changed hearts only came through the gospel. And discipline one says you pursue God through his word, focusing on the gospel, because that's the means that God uses to continue to guard your heart. Galatians says, well, I won't go there, I don't have time. I would love to teach on Galatians 3 and what it says on this, but I'm running out of time. So, so the question for you is, how well have you been guarding your heart? Right, just like a city might monitor its water supply for evidence of poison, so too we should evaluate what is flowing from our wellspring to see how the source is. You might stand back and say, man, my heart feels pretty good. I love God, and you know, I get warm fuzzies when I worship him on Sunday morning. You know, I, I like coming to wellspring, I like reading God's word, but if, that's all good stuff. But look at, look at your life. You want to say, how, how's my, my wellspring doing? Where's, is there poison here that I need to root out? Is there sin I need to bring to God? Sin I need to repent from? Or opportunity to pursue God more fully in his word? Just like a city might do a water check to say, what, what's tainting our water and how can we fix it? You, you can do that. And that's what the homework is. That's what this, uh, the bottom of page four. I gave you some questions to help evaluate your heart. These are helpful for me to evaluate your heart, but I know that what's helpful for me might not be helpful for you, so there's some blanks, right? So, so if everything that flows from your life comes from your heart, look at what's flowing from your life, from your heart, to help see what's actually going on in your heart. So some questions like, do you usually sense a presence or absence of affection for God? Do you have an appetite for God's word, or is it a chore? Right? If, if those two things aren't, if you don't answer like in the affirmative, you, what's the solution? It's not, well, try harder merely, but it, it's you actually need more time in front of God in his word and pursuing him. It might be evidence that you've been relating to God in his word um, wrongly. I guarantee you that the problem is not God's word. If you, if you have a lack of appetite for God's word or if you don't have an affection for God, how are you daily shepherding? Are you daily shepherding your heart to God and his word? 
Do your daily routines, like entertainment choices, internet use, free time, priorities, reflect that you are guarding your heart above all else? What do you do first thing when you wake up? Grab the phone, throw on Facebook, check your email. What do you do first? Um, what do you do when you pull your phone out? Right? Heart guarding. You put, pull your phone out. Your thumb is a great barometer for where your heart goes. If you like have five minutes to blow, I, where does your thumb launch? What, what app do you launch? What does that reveal about your heart guarding? Um, what do you pray for? Do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? Do you pray? What lures your heart away? And how diligently do you flee this? As you do this, there's a temptation to, to like being like a Pharisee, to saying, oh man, I see some sin here. I need to patch, make it look better. Right? These, these questions do not merely reveal things that need to change in your life. Right? They do need to change. Where there's sin in your life, it needs to change. But they don't merely say, oh, I need to stop doing that. Right? If, if you see that you yell at your kids every day, you should stop yelling at your kids. But that's not, that's not all that that reveals. If you say, how do I relate to my kids? And the answer is, I yell at them consistently. Stop yelling. But that's not the solution. right? That reveals something in your heart. So you go to the solution. You go to your heart. You repent of the, the heart solution. Is it discontentment? Is it lack of grace? Right? You actually have to does it reveal that you're like not the like the unforgiving servant in the parable of Matthew 18 that I alluded to? What well, what does this reveal about what's going on in your heart? And what's the solution? How does a young man keep his way pure? How do you not wander from his commandments? By keeping it according to your word, with my whole heart I seek you. Okay. So if your heart is the source of your sin problem, lasting change must always travel through the pathway of your heart. It's not enough to alter my behavior. This is the bottom of page four, Paul David Tripp. It's not enough to alter my behavior or change my circumstances. Right? Where you see sin, it doesn't reveal primarily a problem in your circumstances. And the problem goes deeper than the behavior. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. And if the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior, they may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive, like the pain of discipline or maybe the embarrassment of being caught. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the changes will disappear because they didn't come from the heart. They flowed from something other than a heart pursuing God. So in the shadow of the cross, by God's grace, let's pursue him and his word as we shepherd our hearts above all else. So let's pray. It feels weird to end this without just thanking God. God, I praise you. Thank you. And that doesn't even sound sufficient. I thank you for these new hearts that you have given us. And if... If there are any here who this new heart business sounds foreign, it sounds like it's talking about something that they haven't experienced. God, I pray that you would give them a new heart. God, through repentance and faith, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That there would be no more contentment with cleaning the, the pipes while poison 
flows through or whitewashed tombs that are full of dead man's bones. But that you would take the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. She would grant forgiveness, grant repentance, and a new heart. And for those of us who have been changed, God, I pray that the effect of this morning would be a renewed love for you that makes pursuing you with our whole hearts all that much more easy. Because you are a good, good God. God, there is nothing that we desire more than you. There's nothing more precious than you. There are no joys that even compare to the joy of knowing you for all of eternity. Lifetime upon lifetime, we will not tire of worshiping you. God, we see you so clearly revealed in your word. Or most clearly revealed in your word. God, I look forward to the day, you describe it in 1 John 3, where you say, where, where you will be seen and will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why will we be like you? Because we will see you as you are. God, I pray that that same means of change, that you will glorify us when you return, that you would use to sanctify us today and every day through your word. God, I pray that you would help the, the small group sessions uh, to, to show this, that people would, would love one another, um, that people would flee like sin of making themselves look good, not wanting to hide sin, that, that there would be quick quickness to confess sin, a realness of, of wanting to help each other pursue you better in your word. Um, God, God, I just pray that these small groups would accomplish that for your glory, that, uh, that this morning would be life-changing. This wouldn't be a lesson that we can just leave and add it to the list of to-dos, but that this heart-guarding business we would do above all else because of who you are, for your glory, because of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.